1: For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.
2: Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you. 903 here on SENZ in the mornings as uh, we march through to uh, midday with a, a pretty busy three hours, which includes uh, boxing, first of all. Then we're going to go to uh, basketball with the NBL, take a look at uh, Super Rugby over the weekend. Uh, and also, we can't avoid it, can we? We've got to talk about that Warriors performance and uh, pretty much um, what, what happened in the NRL over the weekend as well. But gosh. Not good at all. Uh, And uh, being Tuesday, of course, we've got a Mount Rushmore, which we'd really like you to be in on. So text us on double eight double three, four greatest heavyweights of all time. On the back of um, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, standing up and saying, surely I'm one of the greatest uh, heavyweights of all time now. Uh, Is he? Is he in your top four? Who would uh, you have in your top four heavyweights, greatest heavyweights of all time? Uh, We'll uh, look forward to those on double eight double three and compare yours with ours, at around about 20 to 12 this morning. Sport
3: is our religion, and here is Smithy Sermon.
1: Well, I woke up this morning, and the first thought I had was to head into town and visit Specsavers. See, I nodded off at halftime in the Warriors game. It's an old man thing, you know, thinking this was going to be a close one with quite the finish. 16-10, a couple of Warriors errors, uh, gifting a couple of tries, No problem, stop those and stay close. 70 to 10. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I literally thought I was seeing things. Don't think that I'll be watching the replay. What happened to the memory and the spirit of the Anzac in that last 40 minutes? Let alone the game plan and the direction on the field. The worst defeat in the club's history. 54 points conceded in the last 33 minutes and a coach accusing his players of giving up. Well, it's pretty hard to flush that stuff down the proverbial and move on, isn't it? What does Nathan Brown do after that? Head down to the dressing room and give them the burst of all bursts a la Ricky Stewart? Or does he not even go into the dressing room at all and leave them to mull in their own misery and embarrassment and humiliation? We all know the Storm are good, they're very good, but really, really. And speaking of Ricky and the Raiders, that's the next appointment next Saturday at 5pm. Any semblance of a repeat of that scoreline, or more importantly, that effort and attitude, then we will certainly be asking, how deep does this go? And on a day of special remembrance, it's a date and a performance we'd all rather not. So let's not dwell, let's just cop it on the chin like Dillian White did at Wembley, courtesy of the Gypsy King. So is Tyson Fury one of the greatest heavyweights of all time? As he now proclaims, does he compare to Ali, Frazier, Tyson and co? Or is he just beating up bumps? At least Specsavers is on hold. I wasn't seeing things. Well, Tyson Fury secured his place as one of the greatest to ever do it with a sixth-round knockout of Dillian White at Wembley. Aside from a few flashes in the fourth, it was smooth sailing for the WBC heavyweight champion who delivered a clean uppercut to put himself on the edge of retirement. Elsewhere, it was announced that the fight that Joseph Parker will face Joe Joyce, the number one WBO and number two WBC-ranked boxer. Uh, Liam Happ is with us this morning. I'm pleased to say he's the managing editor of Darzone News in the UK and uh, all over everything to do with the art of boxing. Uh, he joins us now. Uh, Liam, thanks very much for your time this morning, New Zealand Time.
4: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: 93,000 at Wembley. That says uh, that this fellow, the Gypsy King, has got quite a following and the sport's in pretty healthy state over there.
4: Yeah, you can tell that uh, after the pandemic, the British boxing fans were really, really keen to get back to it. Uh, There's been some really good attendances of some of the middling shows, and Tyson Fury versus Dillian White was that chance to get out for a truly big British heavyweight showdown. Uh, The crowd didn't disappoint. The noise was off the charts. Uh, And the main event delivered with a a big champagne finish.
1: Was it the result? Uh, that everyone expected. Was it ever really in doubt in your mind?
4: Yeah, um, Fury was the overwhelming favourite. Understandably so. He's undefeated. Uh, Dillian White uh, earned a shot at a championship. But, yeah, he. Uh, it's, when you look at the skills and when they say there's levels to this game, not a lot of people really fancied him to to win the fight. For, for me personally, my, my biggest chance for Dillian White in my opinion, pre-fight was in those first three rounds. I really felt that he needed to to just go through the gears, try not to start throwing wild haymakers and, and, and look for that jackpot shot. Instead, just try and just work his way in, find some little moments, maybe, maybe give Tyson Fury something that he wasn't expecting. Uh, and after what was an okay first round, it was in the second round that Dillian White straight away going for the wild haymakers he, he missed two or three wild swings in that second round alone uh, and you could see a little bit of a smirk on through his face because from there he put the leash on him and it was only a matter of time that uh, he was going to find that great shot and it was a it was a corker in the sixth right at the end of the sixth
1: what happened uh, in the fourth round it, it seemed to be quite messy
4: yeah, things were getting testy. Uh, there was a few, there was a few uh, punches to the back of the head from both. They were both told off for it. Uh, things were getting heated. We see that in all sports, don't we? Really, uh, there's always these moments where things threaten to fall apart. Uh, this didn't, and yeah, before too long, we got the finish the menu we were expecting.
1: So. Um... It looks as if uh, Tyson Fury uh, and Dillian White, is that uh, saga over? Would White uh, warrant a, a rematch at some point if Fury carries on?
4: Uh, I mean, he was quoted today saying he wants a rematch. He's unhappy with it. He feels like, uh, and you see on the camera, and there is something to it. He says he was shoved down after the uppercut. There was a bit of a weird thing where Fury has kind of like given him a little shove on the way down. But let's be honest with ourselves, that uppercut caught him good. He was in a bad way. The referee was absolutely right to stop it. The shove really didn't actually make a difference to things. Uh, but he's using this to save face, I think. When it comes to actually getting a rematch, absolutely not. He had a mandatory shot. He had the deserved shot. He lost fair and square. And when it comes to Tyson Fury now, that, if he is going to fight, and I think he will, um, because he has got done this song and dance before, he has claimed he's going to retire so many times. He's, he's very close to Floyd Mayweather on the rankings of who's pretended to retire the most in boxing. Uh, and w- w- assuming he does fight again... He's going to be looking at money because if if you remember on Saturday, it was only a few minutes after he claimed he's fought his last fight, he had um, the UFC's and Ghana in the ring saying they're going to they're going to compete in a crossover hybrid boxing slash MMA exhibition. So so clearly he's got a few things um, on the back burner trying to sort out.
1: As we look at uh, Tyson Fury, is, what. What importance or what advantage Do you place over that height and reach Over some of these shorter guys The way he uses it
4: The height's good The height's very very good The reach is such a good thing in boxing but what Tyson Fury has that is, that is the most important thing is he can box technically. He can box very cleverly. He's got a nice bit of movement. But you'll remember this division was dominated for over a decade by Klitschko. And it was Fury who who ended that dominance in Dusseldorf. I had the pleasure of being out there live for that one. Um, and like uh, other fighters who have that sort of frame, because Klitschko's no small guy, he would use that as a fortress, he'd keep people at bay. Uh, but Fury is the one who's able to neutralise that by being even bigger. But he would then put his legs, his movement, his superior skills in that regard to good use, and that's how he beat Klitschko. And a lot of fighters right now are seeing that it's a very, very deadly combination to have the frame and the movement. And that's what makes him so difficult to envision being beat. But uh, obviously, we've got two fighters in the heavyweight division.
1: Oh, sorry, go, on, mate. No, no, I was just going to say that. Uh, that was, was going to prompt me, but you, you, um, you sort of said it. But I was just going to say, well, who, who of the phys- the physiques of those boxers in line to fight him, who's best, perhaps, equipped to match that?
4: Yeah, well, the, the the two you're looking at right now, and they're the two that most people want to see him fight. These are the two fighters that most people want Tyson Fury to stay actively boxing in competitive championship boxing for. Uh, you've got the the man who holds all the other belts, Alexander Usyk. Um, he's not he's not as big as some of these guys, but I think a lot of people really exaggerate how small he is he's not that small um he only gave up a couple of inches to Andy Joshua he wouldn't actually give up too much especially compared to other previous Fury opponents to Tyson Fury and he is the app so when it comes to technical boxing uh while Fury has great technical prowess for his size um Usyk is probably the best technical boxer on the planet so that would be a very interesting match and I think a lot of people overestimate how much the size of Fury would be decisive. I don't think it'll be that decisive, but it would be interesting to watch. And Joshua is you know, at one point Joshua versus Fury was the mega fight that we all went to see. And at the end of the day, even with Joshua losing his last fight and losing the belts too sick, um, it's it's still a very marketable fight. I think both Fury and Joshua could lose three on the bounce each, face each other and still sell out a stadium. They have box office appeal. Uh, so that would be an interesting fight because Joshua, again, is big. And if he can find that confidence that he once had, that splat that he once had, then it would be a very interesting fight.
1: So the, both of those fights, if they were to come uh, to, to pass, or either of those fights, would they be English as well? Would, uh, would Fury be able to... Um, to to dictate the fact you'd be back at Wembley with another 90-plus thousand?
4: I mean, that that crowd on Saturday must have got into his head and really, really made him wonder, oh, would I like to do this again? Because it must have felt so good to have the crowd roaring him to victory there. Uh, there will always be more profitable opportunities. Some of these super fights have always been mooted about being moved to you know singapore or or dubai or things like or saudi arabia for a big payday but i think i think that whole thing on st george's day at wembley 93 94000 fans or, or almost entirely pro fury, he's going to think, all oh, right, How do I make that happen again? Let Let's do that again at Wembley. Surely he'll be he'll be looking at that. It's very appealing. But there'll always be the big site fees of of the big rich places. And of course, like he spent much of his recent career in Vegas because Vegas is a very for, for the big fighters. It's a very lucrative place to box. So you can't rule out Vegas uh, getting his next fight, like they had the Wilder fights. Mm.
1: Yeah, they love him there as well. And uh, those, uh, you English, just love going that transatlantic flight to get there, don't you? And and numbers. Hey, uh, it's very hard, uh, Liam, in any sport to compare eras, right? I mean, but I'm going to ask you to. I'm just going to say, uh, where does he rank for you when you, you look down the era of heavyweight boxing?
4: Um, yeah, well, I, I did happen to catch the uh, the introduction just before this segment, and you hear the names like the Allies and the Frasers. I have to be very clear. I, I don't think we're at that level where we can really put him in that group if you look at his resume he's had some good wins he has done great in terms of box office he you know he's just with his personality and his controversy he he really is a star but as far as strictly his boxing resume he's had some good wins but we're not talking Ali Fraser this sort of thing I don't think we can call him the greatest British heavyweight either I think that's still Lennox Lewis I think the the way to look at it is if he does carry on fire, if he retires now, he's retiring. He's going to be looking at lucrative crossover, exhibition, sideshow events, and there's money in that. Good on him. But if he wanted to truly be respectfully considered to be in that all-time group, it would take wins over the likes of Usyk, Joshua, maybe one or two more that come his way. There's a crop coming up. You've got you've got a uh, um, J- Joe Joyce who fights Joseph Parker I know Joseph Parker has said very explicitly he never wants to fight Titan Fury they're both Andy Lee's stable so they're not going to fight each other but Joe Joyce, uh, Lawrence Ricoli could, so yeah, he's going to step up to heavyweight at some point there's always a batch of great heavyweights coming through at any given moment um, if he sticks around for five years and really shows himself to be unbeatable we'll have to start talking it. but for now he's beaten Wilder a couple of times uh, great, great stadium win against Dylan White, but Dillian White's not the biggest man on his resume. And he beat Klitschko, mm. no one can take that away from him. But he needs a bit more, I think, to be considered all the
1: time. OK, let's look at uh, the two names that you mentioned there, uh, Parker and Joyce. Uh, how is that uh, perhaps, that possible matchup coming along? What, what would you know about that?
4: Well, they seem very confident in the stadium and on the TV coverage. Um, they said they're making it happen. It, it seemed to be very telling. They, they said it's not signed yet, but they had the two gentlemen, you know, together at the same commentary booth, face to face almost. That's always a good sign in negotiations. Uh, I'm expecting it to happen, and it's a good fight. We're just waiting conclusive um, announcements that you know it has been signed. We've got a date, we've got a venue. But by the, by the fact that they're willing to wheel them both out on TV suggests that that is a formality, and when it happens, it's fantastic because both fighters feel like they're one win away from a world championship tilt of their own, and I I wouldn't disagree with that. And what better way to do it than to have them go at each other and the winner goes on and the other one's got to, to find another route.
1: Where are we then with Usyk and Joshua? So um, on on the zone's
4: platform today, we, we have a fantastic Monday to Friday um, show called the Zone Boxing Show. You always get exclusive interviews and things like that, and we have Eddie Hearn join us once a week, most weeks. And he was on today. It's just gone live on the Zone app, uh, and you can go and over the Zone subscription. And he went through a lot of topics as he always does. And one thing he mentioned is that negotiations are still going on uh similar to Joyce versus Parker we're still waiting for some for some things to be signed and finalized it's understandable because of Usyk's situation having just been in Ukraine and all the things going on there but they're hoping to make it happen he's had permission to to leave Ukraine and start training again and Eddie Hearn's big the big thing that came from this interview is that they're expecting July we're awaiting a date in Avenue, venue, but Eddie Holmes seems confident we're getting that in July and there's a very good chance that it could be the same month as Joyce versus Parker, which would make it a tremendous heavyweight month for
1: boxing. It yes, certainly would. Uh, just just uh, getting back to to Tyson Fury, you mentioned uh, the money word in there and, and of course that attracts these, uh, it's a great attraction to these guys, but I just, uh, he's not, he's not He's not like money Weather, Mayweather, money Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he's different with his money. He's a little bit, isn't he? A bit more generous. He's not so outlandish with money. Uh, Tyson Fury.
4: No, he's not. He's he's done some great pieces in the past. We've said about how he's happy remaining to live in his in his hometown of Morecambe on the north coast of England. He, you know, he, he talks about how cheap a, a stick of rock and. a and uh, a nice burger and chips is and just a nice simple life he's obviously got a very nice house and things like that but, but he he does it you're right he doesn't flaunt the cash like Mayweather, but it's ironic you bring that name up because if he does choose to retire from competitive professional boxing and take the route with things like francis Gano and uh i don't know if you're aware but he has dabbled with uh world wrestling entertainment wwe in the past and he's been talking about maybe going back WWE are doing a big stadium super show in Cardiff in September. He has been linked. He acknowledged it after the white fight. And if if you've got a wrestling company willing to pay you the same money as boxing prize, if not more, to basically do a choreographed routine that still nonetheless goes down really well with fans and really entertains everyone, it's going to be so tempting. Similarly, if he, if he has a little eight-round hybrid rules lark about with an MMA guy neither is going to lose their reputation. You know, there's not going to be a situation of oh, Tyson Fury suffered his first defeat if, if he was to lose on points to Ngannou in some weird hybrid rules thing. Similarly, they're not going to take the UFC heavyweight title away from Ngannou if he, if he ends up uh, losing to Fury. So there's, there are possibilities out there that will pay a lot of money. And as much as boxing fans don't want to see that happen, we want the big boxing fights, but the money these generate much less risk physically and to the reputation, you can understand someone in Fury's situation with with a celebrity he 's got and a star power he 's got maybe he 's ready to cash out
1: yeah well um, whatever happens he's certainly created a a wonderful um, uh, i think he's a wonderful advertisement for boxing uh, because he's he's perceived to be you know a decent guy a a, a really good guy and a really genuine guy and Whilst there's a, a bit of the showman about him, uh, Liam, and you know incorporating the wife and her opinion on whether he should continue or whatever, uh, it, there's a sort of a, a feel about the guys that you, you, you could go into the pub on, on a Friday night and have a beer with them. That kind of a bloke.
4: Yeah, and I uh, think after, uh, after his title win, the first time he won the titles against Klitschko, that's pretty much exactly what he did. He went out on the on the drinks and he bought rounds for everyone. I'm trying to remember exactly where say at. It might have been a holiday venue, might have been somewhere in Britain, there are stories of him buying rounds for everyone in the pub. Obviously, he's had, he's had his moments where he has gone on record and said some really, really unsavoury things. He has walked something back, he's apologised. Uh, a lot of people are the opinion he has he's matured, he's grown, he's obviously been through a lot of, of uh, mental health issues and maybe that has brought some perspective to his life uh, at the same time. Uh, this that definitely does seem a far more mature Tyson Fury. He will call everyone a dosser, He will say this. He'll say he'll do his usual trademark uh, trash talk. But other than that, he he does seem a lot more mature. And with Sugar Hill Stewart, he's he's he fighting a lot more all around, There's a little bit more viciousness about him. As we saw against twice he's really come of age. He's, you know, he he was always being tipped to be a, a potential future world champion, but. But it's only in the last few years after he had that time off and he had to sort some issues out in his personal life where he, he's just, it's, it's a complete new version of him and it's for the better as well.
1: Liam hap, it's been wonderful talking to you, getting those insights. I was a bit jealous of you being on the spot there at Wembley. I've been there for rugby, I've been there for football, but I I would imagine boxing just absolutely rocked the place. Hey, Thanks for your time this morning and your wonderful insight. Thank you, Liam. No problems at all. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, Liam Happ there from uh, DAZN News. Uh, he is uh, the managing editor uh, in the UK, so uh, all over everything that is uh, boxing over there, and some uh, good insight there too on uh, possibly what's coming up uh, for Joseph Parker. Let's hope so. Anyway, uh, it is uh, nine twenty-four here on SENZ. Subject of the day for texting double eight double three is. Um, uh, your four great heavyweights of all time going down, uh, all the way down the ages, your four greatest heavyweights uh, of all time on the back of of this fellow saying, look, um, I think I deserve to be amongst the greatest now. Uh, What do you reckon about that? Uh, There's that. Also, you can text us about the Warriors. Got a good one in from Jared right now, so we'll uh, read that out shortly. Time for a break.
2: ...arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
1: Jared has come in and said, uh, Morning, Smithy. Uh, Watched the Warriors last night expecting a fight on all all days Anzac Day. I think we all did. Uh, Whilst the first half was okay, the second half was a capitulation. And I'm sorry, not good enough. We always make simple mistakes and are never going to compete when not doing the basics right. We need a coach like Bellamy who gets the best out of his players with hard work. Uh, that from Jared. I love your uh, thoughts on it as well. On double eight, double three is our text number. Just how bad was it? Does it does it go down as the worst you've ever seen? Uh, they're saying it's the worst in history numerically. Uh, but what about the worst performance uh, behind the scenes? Uh, what do you think about that, um, you Warriors fans? How just how gutted are you this morning? It is time for the news here at 9.30 with Araha. Well, the 2022 Sal's NBL season kicks off this week uh, with uh, SENZ's mighty Otago Nuggets facing the Giants uh, on Thursday night. However, this morning we turn our attention to the Franklin Bulls who are one of only two teams with an all Kiwi lineup. The other team are uh, the Bayhawks, who they will play, incidentally, this Sunday. Uh, the Pukekohe based uh, Bulls will be looking to improve on their inaugural season behind the talents of Corey Webster, fan favourite uh, Isaac Davidson, just to mention a couple. Uh, Morgan Maskell takes the reins as head coach this season, just 28 years of age, already plenty of coaching experience behind him at youth level and as well as being an assistant on the team last year. Uh, Morgan, good morning to you. Exciting times uh, for uh, the Pukekohe Bulls.
5: Yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks for having me this morning.
1: OK, let's uh, look at how does your roster compare to last year?
5: Uh, so we've kept uh, fan favourite Isaac Davidson and Denham Brook uh, and a young kid, Jet Thompson. We've kept them around, and uh, we searched on the free agent market for some players that might fit uh, the identity and the culture of our club. And we've managed to pick up uh, Leon Henry, uh, 18 year veteran who uh, just came off his seventh New Zealand championship title with with Wellington. And he was also part of the New Zealand Breakers teams that won three championships in a row uh, in the early 2010. So a a wealth of experience, which is much needed for us with with a young crew around him. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, Managed to pick up Corey Webster uh, as a free agent signing, which of course is uh, very exciting for not only for us, but for New Zealand basketball as a whole.
1: When you look at uh, signings um, and, and you've, you've ended up with a squad that is uh, with players from all of New Zealand, was that in, was that intentional, Morgan, or is that a budgetary thing or or just a, uh, the way it's just panned out in the end?
5: Uh, bit a bit of both a uh, bit of all of that uh, you know we don't have the same budget as some of these uh, glamour clubs uh, in auckland city or or wellington or or Canterbury or southland or Hawkes Bay uh, but you know we've we've looked for guys that we believe will fit our identity and our culture There's a sort of a grittiness to Pukakoi and South auckland and. Uh, a lot of the guys here are really hungry. They have chip on their shoulders and they've, they've got things to prove and, and they want to make themselves household names as well. And I think we want to, we have a respectful confidence of those those glamour clubs, but we, we want to uh, outwork everyone in seat to that table.
1: So in terms of your, your the youth side of uh, the squad as you look to build a, a franchise as such, have, have you uh, tapped, uh, tapped around the South Auckland area, have you?
5: Yeah, we were very intentional about getting uh, local players uh, from Auckland. So we've got one player, Jaden Bazant, who's uh, out of Tauranga uh, originally, but he uh, has family around these ways, so we'll, we'll claim him nonetheless. But uh, Leon Henry, as, a, as I mentioned, he's our, he's our captain. He's from Mangere in South Auckland, and we've picked up Kane Bennett-Kyle, uh, who was part of the 2020 championship-winning Otago Nuggets side. Uh, we've picked him up, he's from Mangere in South Auckland as well, and we've picked up uh, Anzac Rosetto. he's from Otahu in South Auckland, and uh, Joshua Ledger, who's from Pukekohe here, himself, and uh, yes, yeah, so we've ended up with this all Kiwi lineup and a lot of guys from Auckland, in particular South Auckland, and and we think uh, there's a collectiveness and a, just a collective cultural understanding uh, that we, we have together that we hope... Uh, against some of these clubs with bigger budgets and uh, uh, American players uh, that they're bringing in or Australian players, that we can uh, use that cultural advantage to compete.
1: How's the preseason been going in terms of... Uh, have, you ha- have you had many matches? Have you had the opportunity to get uh, the squad together as a unit on the court?
5: Yeah, we've played 2 preseason games against the Taranaki Mountaineers uh, and we're pretty pleased with that. I mean... The purpose of preseason games is to provide us uh, feedback and to speak to our players about what they need to improve on. And we feel uh, playing those games helped us enormously, and we've made great strides since. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when the bright lights come on in, in Hawke's Bay on uh, Sunday afternoon.
1: What about the bigs? Are you confident you've got the size?
5: Yeah, so um, Anzac Rizzetto is, uh, if anyone's seen him in real life, that's our starting center, and he's a, he's a big unit of a man. Uh, he's built much the same as uh, the SENZ Zero Targo Nugget Center, Sam Timmons. Uh, very wide shoulders, uh, very built, and uh, he's a hard-working man as well. And uh, myself, being a coach, I'm glad I'm not out there playing because it looks like it hurts to play against him. He's very physical. <laughs>
1: 28 years of age, Morgan Maskell. Um, You've come a long way in a short space of time in terms of coaching to take on this kind of a role. So tell us a wee bit about uh, about, about your background as you head into this first season.
5: Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Auckland, uh, managed to coach with former NZNBL legend uh, Kenny Stone uh, when I was 18, 19 years old, which was a real privilege and learnt a lot from him. And uh, with North Harbour, uh, I was coaching some rep sides, uh, some junior club sides, and been fortunate to be a part of three uh, national championship winning sides in the youth program there, and also coached my former high school, Bangalore College on Auckland's North Shore, and uh, won some junior high school championships there, and uh, managed to, to be in the right place at the right time and, and meet some good people. and. Uh, who put me in positions to coach New Zealand under-14 teams where we won in Australia and a New Zealand under-15 team where we uh, had a victory over Australia in 2018. And for those who follow New Zealand basketball, there's probably nothing better than the Kiwis beating the Aussies because we don't do it very often, and it's very special when that happens. And uh, managed to meet Zico Coronel uh, for 2021 Uh, New Zealand NBL title winning coach with the Wellington Saints uh, who was the head coach at Hawke's Bay in 2018 and he took me down there to be the assistant coach Um, and so I learned under him uh, for two or three years in Hawke's Bay and ran the junior programs there and last year there was an opportunity to come back home to Auckland uh, for me as an assistant coach with the Enviro and Zed Franklin Bulls and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it Um, Jamie Reddish and Scott Calso uh, started the club. Uh, it's a very new club, and I think even this off-season, I had offers to go to other clubs, and uh, I have a lot of faith in what they've built here from an organisational capacity, uh, as kind of sort of mentioned, uh, the glimmer clubs that are constantly having the biggest budgets and making the playoffs and such, and I think there's a real uh, ability to become one of those clubs with a legacy like that. Uh, so committed to be the head coach here, so very exciting times.
1: Morgan, uh, you've signed, as you say, you've signed, confirmed the signing of Corey Webster, which is uh, wonderful because of his on-court ability, but I I would imagine he's got quite a big mentor role to play as well, uh, being where where he's been and and coming back to to this pretty young squad.
5: Yeah, I mean, Corey uh, is one of the most accomplished New Zealand basketball players, around and to have him come back into our league is is really special for fans around the country to see a homegrown talent like that. Uh, So just by playing, uh, he's going to be giving back to New Zealand basketball in a really major way. And uh, having him here in Auckland, where he was born and raised, is going to be really special. So uh, having his experience uh, around our young players is going to mean everything. All the little tips and tricks that he'll have to offer and elite micro skills he'll be able to teach our young point guard uh is is going to do wonders for the next generation of new zealand basketball players and that's what it's all about and i i think that that culture hopefully in our franchise and certainly in new zealand of of giving back uh to the next generation uh so they can flourish and succeed uh, is something that we expect from our leaders and I'm sure that Corey will deliver it in spades. And I'm sure um, he'll be very entertaining for everyone to to watch on the court.
1: Second uh, season in the, the league, so uh, we have to ask you, Morgan. Uh, what are your expectations this time round?
5: Uh, our expectations are we're, we're focused on ourselves and our
1: execution. Uh,
5: can we be? the best we can be every single day and, and improve by an inch every single day. Can we play the best position of basketball we've ever played before? And uh, by doing that, by coming in, having our minds right, our bodies right, uh, going above and beyond and outworking everything and operating despite uh, budgetary restrictions, operating as a highly professional environment, uh, can we succeed in help each individual player achieve their goals and can we understand that we're playing for one another and that the hopes and dreams of every teammate on this team is well they're in each other's hands so and that's a really sacred bond being a teammate of someone so all of that uh, we're hoping a byproduct of all of those things and behaviors and culture will be winning some basketball games on the side as well uh, if we take care of that, I'm, I'm sure we'll be happy with the win total at the end of the day um, and I'm sure when we look back at the path we've walked uh, we'll have started to build quite a good legacy for this club.
1: And uh, we mentioned earlier um, on the back of all that, your first opponent is uh, uh, the, the Bay Hawks, which you've had a bit of history down here in Hawks Bay, but um, it's always good to get a win first up, there's no doubt about that, and like you, they are basically Kiwi-based, so have you had a look at their squad and, and how do they measure up?
5: Yeah, we've had a small look at Hawks Bay's squad. Like I said, we're mainly focused on ourselves and what we can do to execute it because it's about us at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, we've we've kept an eye on their squad. And I mean, since 2018, they've been perennial championship contenders and they don't lose many games in Hawks Bay. So I'm, I'm sure the, the odds makers, uh, and, and objective neutral fans probably uh, don't have us coming out on top in that one but we embrace being the underdog and uh, we're looking forward to, to playing a, a good team in, in the Hawks Bay Hawks in game one
1: well we're all looking forward to the start of the season as well uh, Morgan great competition uh, particularly us uh, here at SCNZ who have a vested interest uh, down there in uh, Otago as you say so Uh, Look, thanks very much for your time this morning, and uh, we shall follow uh, the Pukekohe Bulls with great interest now that we've had a a better insight into the team. Thanks for your time this morning, and good luck. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Morgan Maskell there with uh, his team, uh, the Pukekohe Bulls, who are in their second season of the NBL. Starts this week on Thursday... Uh, it's not They play at the weekend, but uh, it starts with uh, SENZ Otago Nuggets taking on the Nelson Giants on Thursday night. Look forward to that as well. Morgan Maskell there from the Pukekohe Bulls. It's 9.45 here on SENZ.
2: Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Yes, been asking your opinions this morning by text uh, what you thought of uh, the Warriors' performance and uh, did it really dampen your weekend as such? Uh, was it the worst you've ever seen from the Warriors? Certainly the last 33 minutes have to go down as that, surely. Uh, we've also asked uh, for your top four heavyweight boxing champs and Dale's coming on that saying Tyson, Holyfield, Lewis, Fury. So very much in the, the latter years bracket that by putting uh, those names in. Tyson, Holyfield, Lewis and Fury. I'm going to go back a wee bit further when I, I do mine. Um, also on MMA, Dale has said Kane uh, Velasquez, Stipe Miocic, Francis Nanu and Mark Coleman in terms of his MMA fighters. Interesting. Uh, I can see uh, Brian Rariri nodding his head there in agreement with uh, some of those, Dale. So, uh, and he's up on things as well. Uh, so Steve has come in on the Warriors, that performance from the Warriors was not just pathetic, but also disgraceful with it being Anzac Day, it's not as though they were under gunfire, all they had to do was show some pride, they actually brought out the white flag, Uh, it also makes a joke of their name, Warriors, that's from Steve, so clearly Steve very upset about the whole deal, I want to hear more of those and we'll read them out double eight, double three as well, I mean can't just sit back. I mean, that is. It, it's when you see the word humiliating. Um, that is all often uh, a word that sporting people do not like to see about their performance. Humiliating, embarrassing, you can handle from time to time. Disappointing, sure. Below par, all those sorts of things. But when you say it's humiliating, that's a very emotive uh, word. It, it talks about your pride and um, your performance, your pride in your club, etc., uh, and and letting them down to a really, really high level. So. Mm. Uh, that's a bit of a, uh, a mixture of That um, I, I'm not sure about humiliating, but man, uh, when you can see that many points in that shorter space of time, what does Nathan Brown do now and what do they do with Nathan Brown? if Has uh, it got to the point where it's that bad? Um, he's starting to lose the dressing room and losing the respect of the players. He was the one that said they gave up, uh, and you're right, Steve, they did if that's the case, put up the white flag. Uh, not quite the case though, uh, Joey, at the weekend at Eden Park, Phoenix getting up 1-0 over the Western Sydney Wanderers in front of what about 15,000, so uh, it looked a good day out.
6: Oh, it looked great, I was jealous I wasn't there actually, I was, it was my sister's birthday so I couldn't leave her and she oh. hates sport. so I thought it would be a terrible gift to bring her there, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it looked amazing, Oh, especially in the last 10 minutes, the yellow fever of uh, like thousands taking off their shirts, well. Maybe hundreds, but Josh Kronfeld was among them, uh, looking great. His gut was was there. Um, and yeah, I was I was really impressed with um their defence, to be honest. Like, you know, that's the Phoenix biggest weakness, but they really were able to hold hold service, especially in the second half where they didn't have too much possession and um, to get that opening goal was really impressive with uh, David Ball, he really stood up considering that he his uh, toe was barely attached to his foot and he's been having to take medication every day and he hasn't been able to practice, he really led the attacking side and um, Ben Wayne was there to, to uh, get his goal at the end, so no, I was really impressed. Good
1: on you. Okay, we'd better take a short break and we'll have more on the Phoenix throughout the morning because certainly uh, it's a good performance, so uh, play two at home, 1-1, lost one, back to Australia now. It's 9.53 here on SCNZ.
2: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. you got to know when to hold up, know when
6: to fold up. Smithy's
3: multi.
1: Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bedline. Well, we Your had the Highlanders. Sports.
6: Download the TAB app today.
1: Excuse me, dear. Uh, We had the Highlanders uh, to beat the Brumbies. Uh, That, of course, did not happen. The Brumbies are upsetting the only New Zealand uh, side to get knocked over, actually. It's first to beat Brentford as well. That was a one-all draw. So, unsuccessful at the weekend. Today, the Dallas Mavericks uh, in the NBA to beat the Utah Jazz. $1.68. Manchester City tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock to beat Real Madrid at $1.40. And tonight in the IPL... The Rajasthan Royals to beat the Bangalore Royal Challengers at uh, $1.83. Mix that all up, throw it in the melting pot, and if it's successful, you will come out with $4.30. So $4.30 for our multi today. Uh, after the break, Justin Marshall, back from Australia. Oh, he might not be back from Australia, actually. He might be still over there in Melbourne. We'll catch up with him on the weekend's rugby, super rugby, of course. It's 10 o'clock here, and it's time for Ottawa and the News.
2: Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And
1: it is uh, 10.03 here in SENZ uh, New Zealand time. Uh, I think uh, still across the uh, the Tasman in Melbourne, though, is our next guest, Justin Marshall. Uh, Good morning to you, uh, Justin. Uh, How's Melbourne?
7: Good morning, Smithy. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, it's really nice, actually. It's a fantastic, sport. it's a fantastic sporting city, isn't it? <laughs> like, I've uh, had, had the, obviously, the Super Round here with the rugby over the weekend. And in the meantime, um, yesterday there was a huge AFL game on uh, between uh, Essendon and Collingwood, which I found out um, they had a crowd of 84,000. In fact, I was one of that 84,000, which is the biggest crowd Um, in a gathering like that since 2019. And then the Warriors played last night as well. So, yep, Mm. sporting mecca of the world, this place.
1: Okay, so uh, before we get on to the rugby, how did you find the AFL as a a game to watch live? I never have, but they say it's a, a, a real spectacle.
7: Well, like you, until yesterday, I never had either. And all the chat was, to get along and watch it live because it's a completely different game uh, than what you see on TV. And they were absolutely right. I've seen the odd snippet of it on TV, but to go and watch it live, you just get a better appreciation for the space and what they're trying to achieve. And, um, yeah, absolutely uh, really enjoyed the game, enjoyed uh, watching the, the, the way that it's like a game of chess, really, where you're trying to manipulate your way down the field to then try and get the maximum, which is the goal. And... Um, you, know, you get a, uh, you also understand sort of what sort of athlete there are as well, the amount of ground that they cover. Um, just a really brief story. When we were here in 2003 with the Rugby World Cup, we are based in Melbourne for five weeks, and we trained at Collingwood. Uh, and I remember us being in the gym, and some of those guys would turn up to do their training, and they were on the treadmill running 10Ks, mate, to warm up. And <laughs> we were looking at them thinking, what are these guys up to? But you understand why now, because... I think you know, some of them run sort of 7, 8K before half halftime. Mm.
1: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Rugby-wise, though, uh, how did Melbourne react to uh, five games of rugby uh, over the course of three nights?
7: Yeah, really well. Um, yeah, there, there are such a huge amount of Kiwis here, too. That's what was really noticeable to me. Um, in fact, I was doing sideline for uh, the Hurricanes versus the Chiefs game, and I was just sitting down there sort of... Uh, basically watching the game, it was really noticeable to me. The stand that was behind me was a hurricane stand <laughs> full, of, full of like New Zealanders. So I think probably in terms of Melbourne as a sporting city, it, this is an AFL town, uh, town and it also is a rugby league uh, town with the Storm being so dominant and such a great side and well-supported. Uh, so in general, I think if quite a few locals came along and watched it out of interest. Um, and also the Rebels being based here, their core group of crowd came along to get a chance to see the rest of the rugby teams. But for most, most of the people that were here, I think, were rugby people um, from New Zealand or who had travelled down a bit.
1: OK, let's look at uh, the games uh, as they, they went through. Just a, a brief sort of summary of each of them. The Chiefs, in the end, are too powerful for the Waratahs, 51-27, ran away on them in the end.
7: Yeah, they did. Look, it doesn't help when you get to way to a, a pretty average start, which they did. Um, being reduced to 13 men um, against New Zealand sides, Aussie teams simply cannot afford for that to happen to them. And the Chiefs piled a few points on during that period, but I think it's probably good to see that the, the waratahs this year, which I think has been very evident in all their games, it's got a bit of character in their side. Um, a lot of young players, but also some experienced players, uh, the likes of Jake Gordon, who I thought had a really good game, stood up. Um, But ultimately, I think, really, Smithy, when I watched the game, I thought when the Chiefs probably really needed to go up a gear, they had that gear to go up. Um, As much as the Waratahs stayed in the fight, um, you kind of got the feeling that they always had the firepower and the ability to win that game when they needed to, the Chiefs. And uh, I think the right result uh, happened on the day. And again, given the start the Waratahs Waratahs had, um, they were never probably going to be able to make up that ground.
1: So the Blues thirty-five, uh, the Fijian Drua eighteen. What I wouldn't say that's a, a real blowout scoreline. Uh, overall, the Blues' performance. Would Leon McDonald be with happy with that on the back up after that excellent performance against the Crusaders? The other point is, how would you think the Fijian Drua compares at the moment compared to Moana Pacifica?
7: They are equally as impressive, I thought. And look, I I was. Um, very well aware of the fact that they had been better than many thought that they would be but leading into the Blues game who, you know, at the top of the table and given their performance, as you rightly mentioned against the Crusaders, I thought this is probably going to be at least a 50 point um, game for the for the Blues, that they would put, put, pile a lot of points on them but I thought Bowden Barrett spoke really well after the game, I thought what, what he had to say was bang on, he said look, hey, we knew what to expect, we knew well, what it's like playing this Fijian style uh, of game plan. Um, he said we struggled with it a bit with the All Blacks the year before. He said in that environment, and he said, I think we sort of struggled again today. Um, but, you know, we knew that what, what we were going to face and what we were prepared for, but it's hard to prepare for it because they have that spontaneity in the way that they play that, you know, that it's so unpredictable that you can't be fully prepared. I think they were called out by the physicality particularly at the breakdown and in the contact area. They didn't win that. Um, in a nutshell, no. I don't think Leon will be happy because they just didn't help themselves, the Blues. They, they, they spilt a bit of ball. Um, they didn't front up physically when they needed to. They kept inviting the drawer into the game. And when, you, when, he, when he sits down and analyses it, he'll go, thank God we basically got two intercepts uh, because they were the difference. AJ Lamb got basically an intercept the ball dribbled along the ground from the poor pass. He scooped it up, run 70 metres, and then Rico got it into set. That's 14 points. Um, you take those off the scoreboard, and that's a tight game.
1: OK, let's uh, look at the uh, one you're on the sideline for. You just mentioned Hurricanes and the Reds, 30-17. to 17. Reds, 17 nil at one point. Hurricanes, 30 unanswered points uh, in reply to that. So, Artie got them going in the end.
7: It's a good point you make. Like I was thinking to myself, that that, that good old cliche, and it, it really did come back to haunt the Reds. Or don't poke the bear. Um, when when Adi Sabe got head high tackled after Queensland dominating the game, um, he got hit pretty high, and he wasn't very happy about it. From there on, in, the game completely changed, and and his presence was immense. But others stepped up as well. I thought TJ Piranara was really good, uh, great leadership, and his game really went up a level uh, and across the board the likes of Baden Sullivan was very good um, the Ford pack really fronted got, got, uh, rolled up their sleeves and got stuck in and yeah the Reds didn't get an opportunity to score again after that, it looked like it was going to be a difficult afternoon for the Hurricanes and they were going to do well not to avoid a, a bit of humiliation but they just completely turned the game around and Artie was a catalyst for that and, and it wasn't only the way he played, it was also his captaincy, you know he they smelt opportunities when they were there just before half-time. They decided not to, to take a very kickable three, went for the line-out, subsequently scored off that. I think Lomax went over. The Reds just had no answer. The, the, the minute that the Hurricanes um, started dominating the game physically and toughened up, the Reds didn't know where to go. They started spilling the ball. They played in the wrong areas and didn't have an answer. So... Yeah, as much as you can't say it's a one-man band, I certainly thought that Artie was inspirational in this game.
1: Brumby's uh, 28, Highlanders uh, 17, so uh, they couldn't catch up again this time, and now they have uh, an unenviable record, Justin, of one from eight, but unbelievably uh, a couple of wins and they're right and playoff hunt, the, uh, the Highlanders.
7: Yeah, and that's the nature of this competition, you know, that, that they still have an opportunity, and Look, I, I certainly feel Tony Brown's pain. The, the injuries that he's got at the moment, no other squad have got that many key players out, um, which doesn't help. And it doesn't help the balance and the flow and the rhythm, rhythm and, most importantly, your confidence when, you, when you're looking outside you or inside you and you're seeing different faces each week. So it doesn't, it doesn't help to galvanise a team when, when you're constantly having to make changes, which he had to do again for the Brumbies game. But right, right from the get-go, the Brumbies, you know, they are a good outfit. Um, they're very well drilled. They've got lots of Wallabies, you know, Wallaby, wallaby inside backs with Nick White and, and uh, Lola Seal. Uh, firepower out wide um, with the likes of Tom Wright and um, guys out there, you know, given that they're missing banks as well. So, yeah, they're a very, they're a very good side and they'll they'll cause some problems for, for a lot of the New Zealand teams. Um, they'll have to play well to beat them. But equally, the Highlanders, they just need to find their mojo. Like you said, they... they they can still get there, um, but look, they've got a tough task. They've got to go to Suva and play that Fiji inside. Mm. And I can tell you now, all the chat around um, this Fiji inside, and I spoke to McBurn too. I happened to catch um, up with him uh, during the week. Was there was huge anticipation and massive excitement about this first ever game of Super Rugby with the Fiji inside. It's not Highlanders Chiefs actually uh, playing in Suva. You know, for the mm. first time, it's going to be feverish atmosphere over there. So it doesn't get any easier for poor old Tony Brown and the Highlanders.
1: No, that's I mean, that, that is a, a horrible prospect in mind, isn't it? Really, when you've you've got a, a side that's hurting physically, they're a bit sore as well. And just knowing that that is waiting for you in about five days time. Good God. How do you look forward to that?
7: You don't look forward to it, <laughs> and and different different conditions, either, Smithy, because no. you know they'll they'll go they'll go over there to that humidity, you know, be thirty plus degrees, and you know different style of of the way that you have to play the game and adjust to that. And then, like I said, then there's this, you know, if you think that the, 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 the you could tell that the drawer up for that game against the Blues, their body language and their enthusiasm levels were. Um, incredibly uh, heightened and their energy levels were very good imagine them running out in front of their home people (laughs) in in, in Suva man, yes Uh, I I don't know how you get ready for that at all
1: No, I don't I don't Uh, Crusaders 42, Rebels 17 uh, fairly predictable result for you
7: Fairly predictable, yeah. And the Crusaders got everything out of that game that they needed to, and um, they, they didn't suffer any injuries, which is good. So, so no stress on the depth of their squad. Um, the Rebels, once they lost we we're, were always going to struggle because you know he's one of the key guys that gets them into the right positions, makes good decisions. Uh, didn't help them in that regard. Um, the Crusaders were always the favourites for a reason. I think they were always going to win that game. It was just about. How much by and and how they were going to achieve it, but Razor won't be happy with the way they achieved it. Like the, the performance when it needed to be, when they needed to find something, a, a bit like the Blues, they found it. They found their rhythm and they just looked like they could score with consummate ease. But to, to go through the majority of that game, I think you know they, they, they made a amount of handling errors that they made in that in that match was was terrible. It wasn't a great game, Smithy. the. Like, I think there was mm-hmm. something like 26 handling errors and mistakes, and the Rebels fell off near, near on 40 tackles. So wow. in, terms, in terms of a spectacle, it, it, it had its moments, but yeah, I certainly know, and you could tell, I spoke to Razor after the game He said, you know, hmm, expect better than that. They They bombed yeah. so many tries in the first half as well that, Look, they got what they want out of it. He's to, I would brush that game. When they review it this morning, they're in Coogee at the moment in Sydney. I would just say, hey, mm-hmm. boys, we're just going to bin that game and look forward to what we're doing this week because you're not going to get anywhere apart from pointer, uh, finger-pointing, and that's no good and not healthy.
1: And that's uh, just finally, really, before we, we let you go, mate, um, uh, just looking forward to a couple of those matchups this weekend. We've talked about the Fijian draw at Highlanders. It's, uh, of course... In Fiji, Crusaders as you say in uh, Sydney now uh, against the, Waratah, uh, the Waratahs. So, you kind of thing on on the evidence of what we've seen here. Um, whether they'll whether the key for me is whether the Australian sides will get better or not as this as, as these matchups continue. That that's to me is the key if they've closed the gap at all.
7: Yeah, really valid point that you make. It's yeah, it's very very evident to me that. There certainly has been a lift in their skill set and their physicality levels are better. They didn't get as bullied as much as I thought that they would by, by the New Zealand, in particular, the Ford Packs. Um, so that's a good sign. Uh, obviously, that the tempo would have been slightly different um, because the way that New Zealand teams play and the speed of ruck that they have, um, I thought that the Australian teams would get a little bit caught out by that. And they were to a degree, but not massively. So in general, most of them were competitive, but yes, the, that, 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 that's the only time that they've got to, to have, have a look at that, get a feel for it, understand the way the New Zealand team's play and the skill set. They can't afford to sit back and go, oh, we'll get there by round three in this amalgamation. It needs to happen mm. now, and it'll be fascinating to see where the team's like, you say, the Waratahs will be playing at home. I think they're playing at the SCG, actually, uh, which would be quite cool. Mm. Oh, no, they're playing at Leichhardt, sorry. They're playing at Leichhardt Oval. Okay. Um, Will, will be really interesting. And, uh, you know, across the board, you know, the Brumbies are at home as well. Um, yeah, they, they need to get up to speed real quick, as do the, the Reds who were off the mark, and they've been looking really good.
1: Justin Marshall, as always, uh, fantastic to catch uh, up with you uh, this morning. Enjoy Melbourne, uh, or wherever, wherever your destination uh, Where are you heading to for, for this weekend's games?
7: Um, yeah, I'm heading off to Sydney today um, and uh, just uh, being based in Sydney for the weekend. Uh, all the games again, as you mentioned, uh, well, one's in Fiji. The rest of them are here in Australia, so no rugby for the second week in a row in New Zealand. So I'm, I'm going to be in Sydney just uh, helping out on Sky Sports' behalf um, with Stan. Uh, so looking forward to a, another good week. Uh, in fact, Smitty, I'm going to Coogee as well. Um, thankfully, mate, and uh, the council and every person wandering around could you be happy. I didn't know I was going to be going there, and so I didn't pack my budgie smugglers. So uh, it'll be good. I'll just have board shorts so I'm strolling around the beach, mate.
1: Well, there's a lovely little hotel right on the corner there. I'm probably telling you things anyway. that uh, It's got a lovely uh, corner window um, on a nice day where you can have a nice cup of coffee and just take in the atmosphere of Koochee. I've managed to do it on a couple of occasions. Uh, and then COVID hit, so that was my last memory. Uh, mate, enjoy enjoy Kujet. It's a lovely place, and uh, look forward to hearing your commentary next next week, mate. Thank you. Thanks, buddy Cheers, uh, Justin Marshall from Australia, heading to uh, Sydney. Jealous, absolutely jealous. What a a cool city. Now that we're back in operation, and uh, and the fact, of course, that all these uh, venues are now hosting their own games again. How cool is that? Ten twenty here on SCNZ. We have a panel coming up very shortly. for today. Summer or
2: winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the
1: panel. And the panel this morning, I'm pleased to say, uh, consists of two very respected journalists and reporters in uh, Guy Havelt and uh, Hamish Bidwell. And Hamish, if I could start with you, please, uh, the Warriors, uh, the capitulation, humiliation, all sorts of pretty average ad- adjectives being thrown around this morning, and justifiably so?
8: Oh, yes and no. Like, it's a realistic reflection of where they sit in the NRL pecking order. Um, there's Penrith and there's Melbourne. There's two or three teams below that that are of an acceptable slash competitive standard. And then there are the other teams, like the Warriors. And um, against of teams, of teams in their sort of season to 14, 15 bracket, they'll have competitive games. They'll uh, they'll show some some fight. They may win some of them as they have done previously this season. But in the top class, they're not up to it, and that was shown graphically last night. One of the issues they have is Nathan Brown was pretty um, condemnatory after the match in terms of the effort of some of the guys and that sort of thing. But the biggest issue he has there is the worst defender in that regard was Sean Johnson. If you watch the Melbourne playmakers like Pappenhausen. Hughes and Munster, they take the ball to the line they, they ask some questions, they take some bruises, sometimes they dummy, sometimes they pass, they keep defenders honest Johnson plays about 10 yards behind the play, shuffles the ball on, doesn't want to get a bruise, doesn't put a shoulder in a defence so when you call players out and when you think maybe changes have to occur when your highest profile, probably highest paid player isn't performing, isn't even looking interested, that's a real problem because how do you fix that up, how do you make meaningful change, how do you Get guys on board when they're losing their place in the team or they're under scrutiny, but perhaps the guy with all the talent isn't
1: doing anything. Probably the guy with the bank, uh, the majority of the bank check, too. I would imagine he wouldn't be on uh, a small salary, Sean Johnson, at all. Guy Havelt, is it push the panic button time from your point of view? I mean, when you lose by that extent, I mean, that's the history making worst loss the club has had. What happens?
9: Uh, good morning. Is it panic button time? Well, that depends on, on if you're, a, if you're a, one of these people who seem to think that the Warriors are a genuine title-winning contending side. If you are deluded in that sense, then yes, it is panic button pushing time. But if you are realistic, this was always going to happen at some stage in terms of a big loss by this Warriors team. Look, they're a team that can possibly make the top four. I doubt it. Uh, they, they, they may be able to make the top eight. But as Hamer says, realistically, they're somewhere between, say, that 5-13 to 13 mark. Uh, at the moment, they're never going to win an NRL title. Uh, they're going to have these games every now and again where they get thrashed. Uh, that's just the way the Warriors go. Um, I-, I watched the first half. They played pretty well for the first half last night, and then I went to bed because I was tired. I uh, couldn't quite believe the score when I woke up, but at the same time, I went to bed thinking, well, I don't think the Storm are going to lose this. Um, and, and it might be, you know, 10 to 20 points. It ended up being what was about 60 or something. Um, but but mm. that's largely by the by. Uh, they're, they're just not a team that's consistently going to win week in, week out. They're not going to win a title at the moment. Um, and, you know, that Warriors fans, uh, these people who seem to think that they can win a title, need to realize that that is just not going to happen. They might be good on occasion, but they don't have the consistency, and the way I see it, they're not going to have consistency unless they make some significant changes in how they go about things.
1: Uh, speaking of uh, consistency, uh, Hamish, uh, the Wellington Phoenix, uh, home for two games, a, a loss and a win, So, uh, and in fifth place. So pretty handy season here for, for them and the possibility of a home playoff.
8: Yeah, I've been astonished. Um, I covered the Phoenix for a few years under any Merrick's reign, and they had some good players. They certainly had a good coach, and they really didn't fire that often. Um, I didn't expect very much from them this season. Uh, They had every excuse in the world to play. The Warriors We're away from home. There are challenges, there's COVID, all that sort of stuff. But they have modest talent in the squad, and yet here they are playing to their potential. I mean, it should embarrass some teams like the Warriors who don't actually... You know, the sum of the parts it doesn't amount to much. But at the Phoenix, where they, you know, to me, they're battlers, really. Um, to be in, this, in contention at this time of the season is, like, really meritorious.
1: Guy, um, I'm not sure if you went to Eden Park yesterday. I think that 15,000 did. So, an OK crowd. I thought it might have been a few more.
9: I wanted to go. I was coming back from Cambridge uh, watching Lisa Carrington against Amy Fisher so, and, and then had to do the story oh, for one news at six o'clock. Um, so I wasn't able to get there. But I've, I've loved what the Phoenix have done um, up against so much uh, adversity. And, and look, the Warriors are too. I shouldn't forget that. But uh, the Phoenix aren't really expected to do much in this competition uh, in, in terms of really contending with teams week in, week out. They seem to be able to do that. Uh, they're now in a top four position at the moment, I believe. Um, and, and I'd give them a chance of, of going fairly well in these playoffs. And I'd love to see it. Uh, I think they've brought a a pretty good brand of football. I'm not a massive football fan in general, but I tend to watch the Phoenix because I like the way they play. Uh, I think they've become consistent. I think they've become pretty good on the whole. Um, And, and yeah, I I, I hope they can go well into the playoffs. And um, Yeah, as I say, I I was delighted for them to to have a couple of games at home and to see half-decent crowds like you. I would have thought that the one at Eden Park might have been bigger. The day wasn't great in Auckland, so that might have counted against them a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, at least they could come home for a couple, see that they do have some decent support and and put a couple of uh, couple of good performances out there so uh, or one good performance I should say. Um, yeah, yeah. So hopefully they can uh, hopefully they can push towards the playoffs.
1: okay, uh, just hold it uh, on the line if you can fellas please that would be great we'll take a quick uh, break for the news when we come back we'll look at um, a bit of rugby, um, a little bit of tyson fury perhaps and uh, uh, Guy, I might ask you about that matchup between Amy Fisher too. Uh, And Lisa Carrington, intriguing Uh, 10.31 and it's time for the news with Araha Big talk, big opinions, the panel Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, Hamish Bidwell with us this morning uh, And Guy Havelt as well And uh, Guy, as you said, you went down and uh, covered that uh, intriguing matchup Over the weekend between Amy Fisher and Lisa Carrington And we're tied at one apiece, they decided to come
9: uh, yeah, the best battle, best sporting contest of the weekend. I, I think, Smithy. Uh it's been a real treat to be down there to watch. Uh, this is the best of three between obviously uh, Dame Lisa Carrington, the Olympic champion, and Amy Fisher, the current world champion in the K one five hundred. And they've been separated uh, in the first race by point zero eight of a second, and then in race two by point one one. Fisher winning the first one, Carrington the second. This is a, a, a fantastic rivalry um, that I don't think will be separated by much again uh, on on Thursday when they race that decider. Um, it, it's it's had you know fascinating stories behind it in terms of Amy Fisher going her own way and, and moving away from the high performance environment to do her own thing and train herself uh, essentially. Um, because she doesn't see eye to eye with some of the ways of, of canoe racing New Zealand in terms of athlete welfare and that sort of thing, so she's doing her own thing. And then in the other, in the other scheme of things, you've got Dame Lisa Carrington, who, of course, our most successful Olympian, um, who is down at, or down at the lake all the time, uh, or whether that, that's at Lake Pupuki or, or Lake Karapiro, uh, and, and you know, trained by, by the great Gordon Walker. So two very different ways of going about things, and they are separated by such a small margin. It is a shame... That they can't both go to the world championships. Although I put that to someone at canoe racing New Zealand uh, while I was down there, and they said, "Well, we would like to, you know, try and get. We would like to get them both there. But if the rules were changed, then in the grand scheme of things, it'd be terrible for New Zealand because um, if it opened it up for other countries, then in other events, the likes of Hungary, Germany, other European nations would pretty much fill the events because their 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 races." Uh, dominate in certain events so for the greater good this is how it has to be a shame they can't both be there but uh, man it makes for a, a, an epic uh, contest in the making on uh, on Thursday absolutely and we'll be down there uh, for that uh, no doubt about that I cannot wait.
1: Speaking of epic contests Samish Bidwell uh, Tyson Fury um, against Dillian White I'm not sure that measures up to that kind of adjective um, in terms of epic, where does Tyson Fury rate for you all time?
8: I don't want to disappoint you here or sound like a sook or a well, but I, I despise boxing. I hate UFC. Um, all the posturing, the performance enhancing drugs, the recreational drugs, the chonky judging, uh, just everything turns me off about that sport, And let alone the, sort of the head trauma and all that carry on. So no, I, I can't rank him because I haven't watched him and I, I don't pay any attention.
1: Okay, fair enough. We'll move on to rugby then, which I uh, I assume you watched a little bit of, uh, of rugby over the weekend. Do you do you feel, on the evidence of the results, etc., that uh, Australia are closing the gap on the the super franchises over here?
8: I don't think we saw anything in the weekend that we didn't know in terms of the calibre of the teams. So I thought the New Zealand teams were were pretty ordinary by their standards, but when they had to play well, you know, to overcome who they were playing, they did so. Um, The thing for me about the weekend was the concept. I'm not against the concept, but I I just don't think that Melbourne's the place for it. Uh, The Rugby Code struggle there. The Storm for All, their sustained excellence. Don't sell Amy park out. And I thought, um, for what sort of a festival and a a, a showcase for the game, I thought the Magic Weekend, as it's known, was was pretty flat. Um, You take the expats out and there's just no rugby-watching audience in Melbourne. I I know money changes hands so people can host events, but I'd like to think we could have it somewhere else. It's really challenging to get people to go to live sport, and I appreciate that, but I I thought the whole weekend was a bit flat, to be fair, and the rugby was was fairly predictable.
1: Okay. Uh, Guy, can uh, can I go back to the Tyson Fury thing for you? Um, Would he rank... I mean, he's self-proclaimed saying he should be now uh, regarded as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Put him in that bracket?
9: Uh, it's it's a I, look. He doesn't he doesn't rank alongside the likes of Muhammad Ali, uh, and and uh, even in my head someone like Lennox Lewis or something like that? I, I just don't feel like heavyweight boxing at the moment is is overly strong. There are a, a there are a handful of of decent fighters, but it's really him and Anthony Joshua. And and boxing needs that fight. I think it that needs Joshua against Fury. It needs uh, the the belts to all be unified as one. Uh I, I I get where, look, I, I struggle with boxing a little bit in, in the sense that there are so many different belts, so many different um, world champions and that sort of thing. I, I think they need to try and unify it. And I know this is never going to happen, but but it would make me more of an interested viewer if we had one belt, one world champion, one ranking system as opposed to however many it is. I think it's about four, isn't it? Uh, I think that kind of convolutes the, the, the sport a little bit. Uh, Look, he is very good. I I quite like the theatrics around what he does. I like the singing afterwards. Uh, It gives him a bit of personality. Um, But I think it desperately needs fury against Joshua um, to really really decide whether he is indeed uh, up there with the greats of all time.
1: Okay, Uh, let's uh, just, if we can, just focus on um, the Black Ferns for a moment or two. Um, Hamish. Uh, Were you surprised in the end uh, at uh, Wayne Smith effectively being made head coach? It's not termed as head coach. I think it's director of rugby, Black Ferns, but um, effectively he is the head coach, I'm sure. So were you surprised at that appointment, or did you see someone else in line?
8: No, I thought in the circumstances it was a logical conclusion. uh, I still struggle to get my head around how the NDR could have reappointed Glenn Moore without any hint of embarrassment. I, I, I think it speaks to... When we had Chris Lendrum talking last week about uh, players not being able to criticise referees, that they must speak within what he called quote-unquote appropriate channels. Well, the Black went through the appropriate channels in terms of the cultural review of their team, and the outcome was that the thing changed. The same guy that perhaps wasn't to everyone's taste remained as head coach, and it only was when, you know, people on the outside started going, this is... Mickey Mouse, is not it? How can this be allowed to sort of stand? And the fact that Moore didn't front for the, the press conference when the review was, was published, uh, published um, Yeah, I thought it was a really shameful episode. So we have a really good person in, in charge now in Wayne Smith, a uh, uh, well-credentialed coach. Whitney Hanson uh, is part of that whole thing because we need to be able to promote female coaches. But in the circumstances, Wayne Smith was, was by far the the best candidate to take over. And my only frustration is that he can't be now part of the All Blacks because I think they desperately need
1: him. Yep, that is true. Uh, Joe Smith obviously coming in uh, to try and fill that void, particularly from a selectorial point of view. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Hamish Bidwell has uh, been on the panel alongside Guy Havelt, So uh, a cross-section of views expressed there. And uh, we'll have another panel, of course, tomorrow morning with two new participants. Uh, It's uh, 10.41 here on SENZ, uh, some text to read out when we return. Uh, we'll also be going to Louis Herman Watt and Brendan Popper will from the TAB.
2: Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Yes, it is 10.46 here and uh, yes, our show is in conjunction with uh, the great people at Polaris, our side-by-side partners uh, many, many vehicles. Go to the website, actually, and just check out all the vehicle options that they've got there, or better still uh, get a hold of with one of uh, your local dealers because they are superb. Uh, the Polaris, absolutely, products are just great, actually. I just want one, um, but I, at the stage of just finding it a little bit hard to justify uh, to the wife having one to go down to the pub and come home again. Um, but we're working on it. It's the good news, and we'll get through it at some point. So you can have a cat. I can have a Polaris. I think it's a fair deal. Anyway, moving on. Right, uh, let's get to some of the ticks. Uh What unbelievably good news, says Craig, from your UK boxing correspondent uh, that we spoke to this morning. The pandemic is over. If you don't mind, I'll wait for the World Health Organization confirmation. Fair enough, Craig. Yep, fair enough. uh, Smitty, uh says, Steve, he, here are my four top heavyweights. Ali, Rocky Marciano, Joe Louie, and Joe Frazier. Gone back a wee bit in time, Steve. You might be closer to my vintage uh, than some others who have gone relatively uh, modern day, but uh, certainly some of the great black and white footage of those uh, heavyweights back in the day, that Pathé footage is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dale's come in, not that, uh, not that thrilled with the Warriors, pathetic for that effort, he's called them. Staying Aussie, says, uh, and he's not a big fan either of Sean Johnson, um, and that was uh, pretty obvious too from a couple of our correspondents as well. Um, Zane, Zane, the voice of reason, comes in and says, I've finally realised the Warriors simply can't win a a comp under the current cap structure. When we offer players 30 to 40% more than the Storm pay them and the players still won't come, how can we possibly put together a team capable of beating the Storm, the Panthers, in a final series? It would cost most clubs twice the cap to build the same roster the Storm or Panthers have The players make so much money, an extra 400k isn't enough to give up a chance to win a comp. Wow. Uh, At least I went, uh, Kazane says, at least I went five from five again in the SENZ Super Footy Comp. uh, Again at the weekend, up to third in the host comp. Not bad, considering I haven't watched a minute of rugby this year. Interesting. Um, And uh, Grant's coming from Melbourne. G'day, Grant. Uh, Kia ora, Smithy. The rugby in Melbourne at the weekend was piss poorly promoted. And who's going to go and watch the New Zealand sides when half the All Blacks are sitting in the stands? Cheers, bro. Chris has come in and said, can the Drawer beat the Highlanders in Suva? Well, Chris, uh, judging from what Justin said, and he full Wells knows the atmosphere that they're going to run out in. Uh, yes, they can. And the Highlanders are seriously under threat there. They're going, they need a win. They simply have to have a win if they can claw back any chance of getting into the playoffs. Um, but in all honesty... Uh, that is going to be a seriously hard thing to do in Suva at the weekend. Be frenetic, absolutely frenetic. They can weather the early storm, get points on the board, but they won't want to play catch-up against Fiji and Drua. Dillian White believes um, that uh, the WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury got away with an illegal push during their title fight on Saturday and has demanded a rematch after suffering a sixth-round TKO at uh, the Wembley Stadium did appear to push uh, the uh, White after landing a devastating uppercut with one second to go in the round, eventually forcing referee Mark Lyson to stop the fight. Uh, I was buzzed, obviously, but I was trying to regather my senses, says White. He properly pushed me, and I fell over and hit my head on the canvas, which is illegal. This isn't wrestling. This is boxing. I should have been allowed extra time to recover and then carry on fighting. I got caught, no doubt about it, but a terrible job from the referee there. So, uh, Fury said he would retire. um, Said, uh, White, I hope he doesn't retire because I want another go at him. Said, you're a fighter, a true warrior. You're going to be a world champion. I'm not a sore loser. You win some, you lose some. This is life. Comments there from Dillian White after being knocked down with an uppercut. Third time, I think, in his career. Every time he's lost, he's been levelled by an uppercut. It's 10.50 here on SENZ. Uh, We'll be back very shortly. Louis Herman Watt and uh, Brendan Popper from the TAB.
2: NZ Update.
7: Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
1: Well, weekend racing seems such a long time ago, of course, with yesterday uh, being a holiday. But, uh, yeah, some powerful race meetings in uh, Australia yesterday, uh, Kensington, uh, Flemington, uh, Louie, but we didn't quite match it up over here. And it used to be, I, I can remember days gone by when it used to be Anzac Day was quite a strong racing day.
3: Yeah, Smithy, so um, on Sunday they had a pretty decent race meet down at Awapuni and they had the Anzac Mile, um, mm. the Manawatu ITM Anzac Mile. And I'm not too sure why that was on Sunday, not a on a Monday or maybe it always is I, I'm not too sure but but so that, that race was pretty decent won by Sergio for Chrissy Bambury, who seems to have just put it together this guy, Um oh, it's good to see him he's free running and Providence provides he's got a lot of talent for Tony Pike and Z Falls and behind and him yesterday it was racing at Avondale, no it wasn't necessarily uh, A-list racing there were some nice enough types that went around Oceleta, she's going to be a well, she is a talent. I think she is going to win some more races, and that she ran a nice third and behind uh, Star Treasure and Illumination back for Stephen Marsh as well, fresh up and ran a nice enough race. The other one that caught my eye on the card, Magawa, Magawa um, for Opie Bossen and Bruce Wallace and Grant Cooksley, uh, Cooksley, this big burgundy just loved the wet, and he just did it so easily. I think he's going to go on to win some races, Smithy, but. It's got a winter, it starts to tail off a little bit. Then we start thinking about the uh, Queensland Carnival. We've got a few different horses going up there.
1: We have, actually, and uh, trainer's going with them as well now that they can travel. Uh, and that includes uh, Tony Pike. We mentioned him firming up his, uh, his team. But Stephen Marsh is making some decisions around who's going for him as well. And looks like he'll have some worthy candidates.
3: Yeah, I think Marshy will go. Although I did read that Horde the Bourbon uh, is not going to head up. Now, the 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 the, the, champ, uh, the Trelawney stud Stakes uh, Championship Stakes on Saturday kind of showed that Pinarello for Robert Wellwood and Roger James mm. is going to be really really right in the Queensland Derby market, but Marshy's um, just not quite where he would have hoped going into that. I don't think. And the other one was titled, and I know John O'Brien is going to probably bring him back in the spring and titled, just starting to figure it out. So plenty of movement to follow at the moment, we'll, we'll watch it all unfold for the rest of the week.
1: Thanks very much, Louie, have a great uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, BP, Brendan Properwell from the TAB, busy weekend, of course, being a long weekend uh, for the TAB and for you, Pops, as well, but um, uh, what do we got on Monday? Uh, some NBA, I think, playoffs still carrying on? Absolutely,
3: Smithy, Yeah, very good morning to you, yeah. and uh, not too far away from uh, the Brooklyn Nets, up uh, against the Boston Celtics, of course, it's uh uh, three, three zip to the nets so far in the series. Up to game number four in Brooklyn, we've seen fourteen hundred dollars on the total points to
5: be under two hundred and twenty-one points at a dollar eighty-seven. We'll go to game five in Philly for the Raptors and the Seventy Sixes. Strong support here for the 76ers at a dollar twenty-eight. They currently lead that series three-one. And the Mavericks up against the Jazz a little bit later on this afternoon, game five in Dallas. It's currently two-all in the series. We've seen a lot of money here for the Mavericks. 4,600 or minus 3.5 points at $1.90, oh. and money for the head-to-head, 1,700 at
1: $1.64. Well, look forward to that, I'm, I like the Mavericks, I really do, so uh, especially at home. Thanks very much uh, to Brennan Popwell for uh, his input there from the TAB. Uh, we've got Tony Kemp after the break. You know Tony Kemp, that bloke on the breakfast show, does such a great job. Well, he's, uh, he's going to have some serious questions asked of him. Of the Warriors. I'm not holding back. Here's Aroa with the news.
2: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: It is 11.03 here on SENZ. Normally at this stage we might play some clips of highlights from the Warriors. Well, we could have for the first 40 minutes, maybe the first 47 minutes of yesterday's game where they were more than competitive. And then the proverbial hit the fan. Uh, and we can't uh, really get anyone better to talk about it than Tony Kemp, of course, um, who watched on, I'm sure, with, um, I don't know if discussed uh, too hard a word, but Kempy, good morning to you. I know you touched on it several times throughout your guys' show this morning, uh, but 60 points, mate, uh, it, as time goes on, the margin doesn't get any less, does it?
0: No, does it doesn't get any easier to swallow, Smithy. And, and you're right. We we did speak about it a little bit this morning, but having a having you know a chance to talk about and reflect on what was really a disappointing 45 minutes of football because for the first 35 minutes of the game, the Warriors really put in an effort that um, on Anzac Day you know they should have been proud of. But unfortunately, the game doesn't finish after 35 minutes, Smithy, It, it goes for a full 80, and that's what Melbourne do. If you're not in it with them. Uh, they make the pay, and they made the Warriors pay dearly for that um, effort last night.
1: So where did it absolutely fall down? I mean, was there one point when you thought, I mean, uh, I read a report where Craig Bellamy said uh, uh, the, the head clash, the knocking out uh, of um, Zalesniak was, was not a good thing, um, and that may have affected the team to that, uh, but not to that extent, surely?
0: No, not at all. You know, like, I think the best thing uh, for some teams sometimes is to get to the halftime break so they can regroup. But I don't know what happened with the Warriors because they came out, at, out after halftime and within seven minutes they'd let a try and, and it just it just snowballed um, from there. The, the, the stats don't lie, Smithy. They, they only completed 19 sets for the whole game. There was one stage in the second half that they were uh, one set completed um, out of five which was basically their whole second half. So, you yeah, if you haven't got the ball against a team like, like Melbourne, you ain't going to do any good, and that showed last night. But, you know, losing a couple of players... You know, yeah, Curran, he's been playing really well, but Jez Tavaga came back. I thought their front row was outstanding, um, again, in the Warriors with Fanua Blake and, and Matt Lodge. But, you know, the rest of the players around them just didn't step up. You know, the, the, the back rows were non-existent. Um, even though they shifted a couple of positional changes... Because of the loss, the loss of Watene Zalesniak, they should have still been able to, to perform. And I guess this morning um, on their trip back to Redcliffe and having to sit down and watch that again, I I just hope Brownie highlights a couple of players and and holds them accountable because you know they're up against Canberra this week. They've got a six day turnaround and they need to get back out there and perform.
1: That's an interesting thing. You've worn the coach's uh, badge. You, you know what it's all about. I mean. What do you say in a situation like that? I mean, do you consign it to saying that's just a one-off, um, let's put it behind us, let's not talk about it, let's be positive and, and and go forward? Or do you actually highlight it from a coaching point of view?
0: Well, you've got to, you've got to highlight it because, you know, they're, they're talking about how good their defence was and, and for the first five rounds of play, teams below them and then they've come and to this next five rounds playing teams above them and they've been exposed two weeks in a row so you've got to highlight the, those defensive deficiencies um, and I think you have to really point it out to the players too that are, that you know like you said last night Brownie, he, he doesn't want to do that in public he wants to talk behind closed doors and talk to those players when you're analysing the, especially the defensive effort of a couple of players there you know they just didn't have the right attitude in that second half um, and especially when they got a few points behind you know uh, it says a lot, in a player that really tries right up until the 80th minute, and this says a hell of a lot of better player that just throws a towel and when the game gets tough. And you now, if that's going to happen against the top four sides, the likes of the Penriths, the um, the likes of Melbourne, you know, then then we are really struggling to make the finals this year. And you know, like you, like you know, Smithy, you've got to be in the four if you if you're any chance to in it. So, what does this say? A 70 point team by top four side of our yeah. chances of making the four that just those are the sort of um, I guess conversations that the coach really needs to have decide this time of the year
1: see you know when for me anyway just looking from the outside and when you when you bring back uh, a player like a Sean Johnson who's had pretty proud history with the club uh, goes away uh, decides uh, that it'll come back and and you know you look to players I, to me anyway you look to players like that. With the history in the game, to stop this kind of thing happening, to, to, to address the problems that are out there, when you, you gather under the post, when the opposition have scored, and you, you have that chat under the post. They' are the kind of guys uh, that you kind of look to for me anyway, but um, I'm getting some texts in here this morning, very critical of Sean Johnson's performance, particularly in that, that uh, time during that time when things got tough. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it is, it's hard not to be critical of him because he's a marquee player. You'd expect a player like Sean who's played in what's this, this 3rd 13th Anzac-type game, you know, like so.
8: Um,
0: you, you want, you know, when you look at Fanua Blake as the captain, you know, and Matt Lodge becoming frustrated in that last 10 minutes, and you go to your senior players on your side, and yes, they've got a number of younger players around them, but Sean Johnson, you expect to step up and lead the side. Now, just because you don't have the cap, you know captain or the C beside your name, when you wear a number seven or number six jersey, you're the skipper of the ship. You're steering them around the park and you're telling them what to do. Now, what it says for me about Sean not stepping up to the plate and pulling it back together is that he's in two minds himself. You know, Smithy, and, and it was, you know, I don't want to be critical of Sean because what I honestly think about Sean at the moment is that he's running around on 33-year-old legs and by by the looks of what happened last night, he ain't he isn't a player that's going to get him to the finals or win a final, and he's not the seven um, that we saw as a 20-year-old, you know. So he doesn't like the collision. There are two key parts. I like night when he threw the intercept and that try of Jesse um, Bromwich's Bromwich right at the end that said to me that... Then when the going gets tough, I don't think Sean's going to want to want to be mixing it with these guys, and that's the real crux of the problem, you know. Because those big games, those top four games, and you look at you look at how West Tigers have battled it out. Um, At least they you know they've got beaten, but they and they've won these last two, but they've stuck in it for eighty minutes. That's the type of attitude that you need from those blokes, such as Sean Johnson. We and I think you got it from For Blake and Matt Lodge.
1: Right, um, let's. Look at perhaps Reese Walsh as well. I know he's only young. He's got that superstar factor in, about him. But um, uh, I've got a, a, a question here sent in to me saying, Are we better off saying goodbye to Reese Walsh?
0: Well, you know, you know the problem they have, Smithy, in the competition is that it's not it's not flush with um, spine players, especially in the, in the number one jersey, the number seven. You know, you have to convert them from the wing or. Um, you know, have a bit of a pot luck in and in a spine player at hooker or, or seven or six. So I wouldn't be saying goodbye to Reese Walsh. It's going to be hard enough to get him back across the Tasman anyway. When they they come back here full time, what really you know, like between the show this morning and, and talking to you, when I was thinking about Reese Walsh, which is really concerning, is that last week he kicked that ball dead, which put them in a, I guess, in a spiral, um, downward spiral. They went kick the ball dead. They went four penalties on the trot against them. And before we knew it, Sydney City was back in the game and, and, and took the game from them. The same thing happened last night. Now, I would say that, you know, once you, you let the kid off, but they would have had the conversation with him. They would have said to him, look, you've got a bit of a powerful boot on. You just, you know, pull the ball up a bit shorter or tear it up a bit higher, um, but don't go and, go and kick that ball dead on the full. Because again, when he kicked the ball dead on the full, they scored, and then they scored back-to-back tries on that and really put the team under pressure. And I think Brownie alluded to it a little bit last week when he was talking, that Reece Walsh really needs to stay in the game. Um, Now, it's really hard, Smithy, as you know, when you're a kid of 18 and everyone's throwing accolades at you. Uh, You know, we saw how well he played last year and he he rode that wave right till the end. It's going to be really interesting to see how he handles the the other side of the coin where players are saying, mate, you're actually not that good. You need to pull your head in. And, And for me, that's, that's what we. Re- that's when you're going to really see what this kid's got. So, you know, getting rid of them. Oh, look, don't throw your don't throw your toys out of the out of the out of the bath yet. You know, you got Canberra this week, who are just as desperate as the Warriors, it's going to be interesting to see which one of those two teams who are in Canberra's below, a step up to play this weekend.
1: Yeah, Canberra's going to be an interesting uh, proposition, and I wouldn't say Ricky Stewart's enjoying life too much at the moment either, but. Um, I would imagine it uh, would have been interesting to see what his reaction would have been to a 60-point hiding. Uh, I would imagine um, one of two things: He either didn't go to the dressing room, or you could have heard him from here.
0: Yeah, and, and he's you know any other team you want to come up against this week, Ricky would be he'll be playing that game over and over to his Raiders right side, and, and he will be saying to them, Do "You want to get beaten by a side that's just been beaten by 70 from Cam- uh, from Melbourne." You know, and he we know one thing with Ricky is that he, he will motivate his team to show up and play this weekend. And the Warriors shouldn't really need any motivation this week after getting a, a shellacking like this. So, I I'm looking forward to seeing what the accountability report is from from um, Brown. I don't know whether or not he has the depth um, in Australia at the moment. You know, it's it's these times where people say, oh, they need to come home. Now, yeah, we all know, you know, we all know that that's a, again just another excuse that's. It's band-aiding the, the issues. That like what we really know, need to know is how can a side that has competed so well in some of the rounds just capitulate like they they did last night um, and only mm-hmm. compete for 35 minutes? You know, there's there's got to be something else going on in the background because you just don't you just don't give in like they did last night, and and that's the concerning factor. of This Warriors side, we're round we're round eight, and you had and you had um, players just throwing the towel in. There's still 14-odd rounds to go, and I'm just a little bit worried that there's maybe something else going on in the background.
1: Yeah, well, that worries me too. Uh, and uh, I think the, the indication we'll get this weekend on the field will be, uh, will be very interesting as to how they rebound uh, against um, the Canberra Raiders. Now, uh, if they want to take a leaf out of the book of anyone, uh, two weeks ago, we were all over the West Tigers and their head coach, and we were saying that it's going to be a shocking season for them. Uh, and then talk about fight. They've won back-to-back games uh, with drop kicks right at the very end. Now that that's showing a bit of spine.
0: Yeah, and look, you've got to take it down the the, the young boy Hastings. You know, like um, I don't know if you know this, Smithy, but his father was a was a fantastic halfback, played for the Sydney City Roosters, um, and he's been out previous those games, been coming back in the last two weeks. to kicked the winning winning field goal and had such a wonderful game. Uh, to get them home just the other night by one point again. Like that's when you're talking the difference between a, a, a player such as Sean and Hastings. Like Hastings rolled his rolled his sleeves up and just continue to keep his team in the game while just, you know, defending well, keeping his middle operating and operating off the back of a, a really, really good kicking game that he had. You know, the difference the difference for that he's got players that wanna wanna want to stay in the game. You know, and that's what Brownie needs to get out of his marquee play. He needs to, he needs to get into the Sean Johnson there, and he needs to say, when we're playing the champions, mate, you've got to step up. You know, these type, these type of games, um, especially like the one we played last night against Melbourne, go back and have a look at it yourself and, and all of the, the clips of how poor his defence was. Um, he never kicked the ball last night. It was, it was Reese Walsh. He was a passenger for big periods of that game, but when the going gets tough, not tough, he he stepped out of it, and you know the difference between the Tigers and the Warriors. Their halves are going alright. Our halves are going pretty average.
1: Wasn't a high scoring game, but uh, the Dragons getting over the Roosters was uh, was a, r- a really good result for them.
0: Well, that's what that's what Anzac games are about, Smithy. You know, like SCG, the Red V um, versus the boys from Bondi, and you've got. You know, going right down the line, I don't, I don't know how St George kept Sydney City out of that game um, at the back end of it. Joseph Maru Tedesco tried everything to get across the line. A couple of poor reads from Tupo. I think we might see him sitting on the sidelines for, you know, four or five weeks with that head high uh, on the St George winger. But yeah, that, like again, St George, you know, like where have they come from, they, they started the season pretty poorly. They got Tarek Sims back in. New South Wales back Rose heading off to Melbourne. Another great Melbourne buy for next year. Um, mm. But, but you, you make that change. I, and I think the Warriors can learn a little bit about this. So Jack Bird moves from the edge into, into that 5 8 position and becomes a link. I think what you know, one of the things we spoke about this morning, and Melbourne and South Sydney do this really well, is move Sean out of the 7 jersey, move him out of the first receiver, and keep him in that second receiver. Like, you know, if Harris DeVita isn't, isn't able to play that first receiver, then put Sean in there. You know what I mean? Or put a half back in there that can link, link with um, Channel, uh, Chanel Harris-DeVita. So, um, yeah, look, great, great fo- some great football on Anzac. And, and that, that game with the Warriors and the Anzac being played in Melbourne, man, it's the toughest game in the world to go up against Melbourne, especially down um, in Melbourne on Anzac. We can give them the AFL and the way that they they celebrate it, and and... Everyone in New Zealand that knows the Melbourne Storm are always up for the Anzac game. And in the last three years, we've found that out.
1: Well, Ken P, great to get your thoughts. Um, <clears throat> I just hope they can turn it around. I mean, I, I think it's a real watershed game this weekend. I really do. I mean, because it'll, it'll tell me and a lot of people looking on uh, what they're all about. And it might also give us an indication whether uh, Nathan Brown, which is the worst thing a coach ever wants to do, um, cops a uh, respect backlash on the fact that he said they weren't trying. I mean, that's quite a, a big thing, a big thing for a coach to say, isn't it? That, uh, publicly, you can say it within the house, but when you go public and say that they gave up, um, not some some players don't react too well to that. So, it'll be interesting to see.
0: Yes, and I and that's why I make the comment that I think that there's something else going going on in the background. You don't say that. You're basically the rule of thumb. Is you do not say that publicly about the players that are going out there putting the effort in for you, so um I'm really interested to see what unfolds over the next few weeks too. I think that you know maybe there's a little bit of um un- some some unsettled players in the background, and given the effort that some of them put in last night, you know we've got we're just going to have to watch and wait
1: and see mm, we'll wait and see all right hey mate uh, as always, thanks very much for your time and your honest thoughts uh, Enjoy speaking the game with you. Thank you. Thanks, Kempi. Have a good uh, no Tuesday. We'll hear from you tomorrow night. morning. Yeah, cheers. Uh, hey, Tony Kemp there, folks. Uh, yep, cheers. Uh, 11.19 here on SENZ. We'll take a break. Uh, come back with some text and some really good news about our greyhound over the weekend. Fantastic news, in fact.
2: Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: 25 and Dazone pound for pound. The countdown is on. We are counting down to the best pound for pound fighters as voted by you. Head to SCNZ Instagram to vote. All thanks to Dazone, and it's a history making weekend too for Dazone. On uh, Sunday, May the 1st, it's Taylor versus Serrano. They battle it out for the undisputed lightweight championship. It's the biggest fight ever in women's boxing between a number one. And a number two, so don't miss out. Download the Zone, the Zone from the App Store, or watch dazn.com. The Zone, big fights, great price on any device. Uh, speaking of great news, um, our Greyhound won over the on the last Thursday, uh, and it paid eight bucks. Get that paid eight bucks. Uh, so uh, our uh, five hundred, uh, we got sorry, eight hundred dollars. We got for that eight hundred dollars. That was homebush Luther. Winning uh, 800 bucks, and our total now raised for Women's Refuge is 1,010. Then we had a little bit on also, uh, of course, for uh, our trotting one, our harness racing one. So uh, we're going to get a nice little, a nice little pot to send across to uh, the good ladies at uh, Women's Refuge. I'm sure uh, by the time it all ends up, we have had some uh, texts in as well. Uh, Brown needs to go. Uh, get Flanagan or Paul Smith in, proven winners with great uh, track records. It's uh, from Finn. Um, Simon says, whether the coach says it or not, people have eyes and they can see it for themselves. So I don't think Brown's saying what he, we already know matters that much. Okay, interesting. Uh, that as well. Most uh, And Simon goes on to say, most people um, listening that work don't need their workmates to get them up for each day at work. They don't, just don't have a professional or performance-driven culture despite what they think. So a, a lot of flack flying out, out, around about that. So,
6: yeah, so you did, uh, Joey, didn't uh, watch uh, the Warriors uh, at any stage or what? Yeah, no, I did watch it. Yeah, I did. I, I stayed up well past my bedtime, and uh, I, I was texting with Izzy and Kempi and, um, you know, dev, devastating. I Like, actually, in the first half, I felt like, the storm, uh, you know, they didn't even really have to like show their best because they would, they, you know, we coughed up three, um, mis- they coughed up three of our mistakes and turned those into tries, you know. And so I was expecting the storm to turn it on. I thought they might get a bit of a grilling at time, you know, like these boys, they're not really showing you anything. The Warriors aren't really a threat. Let's push them, and that's what they did. That's what I kind of expected. And then I just turned it off halfway through the second half. Just gave up. Mm.
1: We'll be interested to see what uh, comes out of it, and what side of kind of side that uh, Nathan Brown comes up with uh, this weekend for this match against the Canberra Raiders, because he's got a couple of injuries, injuries to uh, overcome as well. Players that uh, certainly will not be available to him. Uh, interesting in tennis, this uh, young tennis sensation from Spain, Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, he will enter the top 10 this week, becoming the youngest, the youngest, uh, male tennis player to achieve that feat since... Uh, Rafa Nadal did it 17 years ago. Uh, He's just 18 years of age. He captured his fourth title in the Barcelona Open with a straight sets win over Pablo Carina Busta, projected to rise as high as number nine when the latest ATP rankings are released. So uh, it's tough to play a final this afternoon after this match, after this week, but it's a final. You have to give 100%, uh, said the young man. "It's no time to be tired. You have to fight like it's the first day. Hmm. It's uh, quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, Talking about motivating people and getting people involved. Uh, We shall be uh, doing our Mount Rushmore. Uh, We've had some uh, interesting ones coming in uh, about just who you think are the best four heavyweights of all time. Uh, So Joey and myself, uh, Joey Bell and myself, will be doing that around about 11.40 this morning. Um, In the meantime, Uh, you can get on the lines now at 0800 150 811. Now, I understand, I wasn't able to listen yesterday, I understand staffy has gone pretty well, and the pool's up to, what, 150 bucks, Joey. So uh, we're playing for 150 bucks, thumbs up from Brian, and the sleep drops as well. So that's worth winning to start the week off, isn't it? So uh, 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Stump Smithy next, after the news with Araha.
7: Ian Smith's had a good match
10: here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, and it is that time and I'm back. I'm back to redeem myself from uh, last Friday, I think it was, but yes, 150 bucks on the line today. It's Stumped by Smithy time. Gentlemen, get your whites on, it's time for a spot of cricket. Up for grabs today is the $150... With the bonus bets. Plus the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Try New Zealand Sleep Drops for all ages, lifestyle stages and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Check out sleepdrops.co.nz. Joining us at the crease today, we have on line one, Scott. Scott, you there mate, can you hear me Scott, come in. Morning Brian, how you going? Yeah, I'm good thanks mate, I'm good thanks mate, how you feeling?
3: Yeah, yeah mate,
10: pretty confident. Pretty confident. What about you, Smithy? How are you feeling?
1: Well, I've had a long weekend off. Oh, no, I've, I won't say I've been reading Wisdom or uh, too many sporting almanacs over the weekend, Brian, but I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty confident to take Scotty on this morning. What are the subjects you've got for us today, mate?
10: Okay, so the three categories we have for you to choose for today are Kiwis at the Commonwealth, golf or soccer football. What would you like to uh, go with, mate?
3: Uh, Can I go with
10: the soccer football, please? Oh, yes, indeed you can. Okay, first question. Chris Wood recently became, excuse me, let me just roll that down a little bit. There we have it. Chris Wood recently became the greatest goalscorer of all time for the New Zealand All Whites. Who held the record before him?
6: Uh,
7: was it the one comedy? That's
6: not chips, now, we right in the slot. Under yes, it was. It
10: Great, mate. How did you know that one?
6: Uh, I, I heard it on the news a few weeks back when he when he over obviously overtook it, and for some reason
10: it just stuck in the head. Stuck in the head, Smithy. You were you on that?
1: Yeah, I was all over that, born company yep. So, okay, got away with one there, Scotty Boy. Question two.
10: Question number two. Uh, the first time the always qualified for the FIFA World Cup was in 82. They didn't make it out of the group stages, uh, but who won that tournament in
3: 1982? Ah, uh, that was. Ah, uh,
10: <laughs> was. Man, internet, slow down your way, is it? <laughs> uh, was it uh, Germany? Could you say that again, please? Was it Germany? Was it Germany?
5: One of the worst things
10: I have
1: ever seen oh. done on a cricket field. Uh, over to you, 1980, 1982. It's not Germany. It's not Germany. It's either um, Italy or France. Well Brazil, really, isn't it? I'll go with Italy. Just for the hell of it. Italy. Is that
10: your final answer.
1: Italy, Paolo Rossi. That's not black chips, Maybe. On ah. right. And it he's got like
10: him underwear. back to the pavilion for you, sorry mate. Who we got next up, Joey? Gareth? Gareth, Gareth from Where are you from, Gareth? Uh, it. Gareth from Christchurch. Try, right, mate. Hey, look, there's uh, one question left for the chocolates. You get this right. You get the sleep jobs and the $150 bonus bets. You get this wrong, and uh, Smithy gets it right. We jackpot. Smith. You get this wrong. Smithy gets it wrong. Yes, you, you get the bonus bets, mate. So you're probably going to be a winner here, mate. I think this is the easiest one of all. Final question Who is the most capped All Whites player of all time? Oh. Has he gone? Has he dropped off? Let's go Let's go to the la- final caller. Simon. Can you hear me, Simon? Yes, I can. Sweet, mate. It's all on you. Did you hear the question? Would you like me to ask it again?
6: Uh, could you ask it
10: again, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, who is the most capped all-whites player of all time? Oh,
9: and the music uh, stops. Okay. Um, most um, cinema car. Let's go
3: with
9: uh, Shane Smelts. One of the
10: worst things I have ever Great seen guess, oh, mate. I, on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy.
1: Yeah, Shane Smelts is a good guess, actually. A very good guess. Um, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking of going back a wee bit in time, so I don't think it's any of the current crop. I, I, I really don't, so I think I'm going back, um, am I going back as far as like a Shane Roofer, uh, Winton Roofer type player way, way back in the 80s or somewhere in between? Someone like, um, I'd like to think it's a very high profile. Maybe someone like, uh, I'll have a crack at Ryan Nelson. Ryan Nelson. One of the worst things
6: I've ah! ever seen.
10: Another amazing it. guess. You're probably going to kick yourself when you hear this one. It's uh, Ivan Vasilich. There, Ivan Vasic. Uh, yeah, eighty-eight caps, yeah. a career fine. spanning from ninety-five to two thousand and three. Unfortunately, you uh, don't get the sleep jobs, but uh, because Smithy got that one wrong, you get one hundred. You get one hundred and fifty bucks in uh, TAB bonus bets. Awesome! That's great. I've been finally
3: trying
1: to win one of those, so that'd be nice. Good on you, Simon. Might, Stay on the line, and uh, we'll get the we'll get the details off you, mate. So, congratulations on that. Yeah, Ivan Vasic fantastic uh, defender wasn't he played all that time um, interesting indeed we're going to take a, a short break uh, when we come back Mount Rushmore time being Tuesday uh, Joey Bell and myself our four greatest heavyweight fighters and Joey is a relatively young man so don't expect too much history here folks just saying just saying it's 11.37
2: Summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: It is uh, 11.42 here on KCN. Yep, and time for just a, a little bit of Jimi Hendrix and his instrumental version of the Star Spangled Banner, which means it's time for our... Mount Rushmore for the week being this time on a Tuesday and today our subject, uh, pretty topical one on the back of uh, Tyson Fury standing up and saying I deserve to be now regarded as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Um, not sure about that myself but however that's what he said and just prompted us to uh, perhaps think about who we did think were the four greatest heavyweights of all time in our thinking so that's what we're going to do now. Joey, do you want to... Do you want
6: to go first? Oh, that's really kind of you, Smithy. Really, yeah, sure. I'll kick us off. Um, okay. I'm going to go way, way back, way back, Smithy. So you think I'm, I'm quite young, but hey, I know about Jack Dempsey. Uh, and I got a little clip of um, his win in 1919, his first ever title win, huh? where they should have called the fight, but it kept on going.
3: This is no fight. It's a slaughter, a massacre. Big Jess has no more chance than a babe in arms. Look at the heavyweight champion of the world. His face is pounded almost to a pulse. His tired day's eyes peer through a mask of blood. It drips down over his body, stained his trunk, spotted his legs. Even Dempsey's smeared with the sanguinary fluid. Each time the Maori goes into a clinch, he gets more of it. Why doesn't the referee stop it? Why? But Ollie Picard comes from the old school. There's only one way for a champion to finish, they say, and that's on his back.
1: <laughs> great commentary. Jack Dempsey, back in nineteen nineteen. Well, I, I if I had a hat on, I'd take it off and salute you. That is a great get, Joey Bell. Fantastic. Uh, mine, my number four. Um, I, I have to I have to put him in. He's, it's a bit of a toe rag of an individual. I mean, he hasn't been the the best behaved kind of a bloke, um, on and off the field. If you get my drift. Uh, but he was uh, one of the most feared uh, in his time. Still floating around, actually plays in the odd movie every now and then, but uh, the most feared, and and especially the way he ran out of his corner when the bell uh, signalled round one and just let rip, absolutely let rip, Um, and the black uniform, the black trunks, uh, the black boots, uh, the black gloves, of course, and and there's only one of them, and he's got an amazing tattoo now on his head as well. Uh, I speak, of course, of Mike Tyson
3: let we'll here see you again by ducking. Yeah, trying to get the angle is Tyson. You use that right foot and
2: pivot. Swing around on your opponent's side and then crack.
3: Oh, he got a right uppercut. Another right uppercut. And down goes Mathis.
2: See, he stepped back and did it again. Stepped Four, off and around six, and ripped that uppercut to six, where Mathis was ducking eight, right into it. Nine, ten. He didn't beat the count. That's up, man.
1: Well, he was almost unstoppable, wasn't he? He was frantic. He was—he was a very feared boxer because he just looked like he was an angry man every time he stepped into the ring. He had an interesting upbringing. Um, customato sorted him out, got him, turned him into a professional boxer, uh, and then of course he uh, went to Tokyo and James Buster Douglas knocked him over, um, in a most um, <coughs> one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, actually. Uh, I, dig- I digress. You're number three. You're
6: number three, Joey. Uh, my number three, well, now I'm going modern again. Um, and this man, he's domin- he dominated the scene for about 10 years. Uh, before Fury, he was the one to beat. No, he kind of almost killed boxing because he was so good, so dominant, you know? And we kind of forget about that. But my number three is Klitschko. Okay. I- and now fighting in Ukraine, obviously, a real warrior, a real yeah. fighter, the great Klitschko. Yeah.
1: yeah, Vladimir Klitschko obviously couldn't fight his brother because the mother wouldn't let them. And yeah, a, that was the one that all the promoters wanted to put together. Um, but mum when said, no, my boys will not be fighting each other for you guys to make a lot of money. So it never eventuated. Uh, number three uh, for me is um, a fantastic fighter, uh, a, a real technician. I believe, anyway, uh, pretty clean image um, until he lost half an ear, and the world really got to know him a, a little bit closer. Uh, and a really, a really good fighter goes back uh, with a bit of history in New Zealand boxing, actually, with Kevin Barry, doesn't he? Evander Holyfield.
2: Again, the hard punches have got James Rocky, but he's fighting back.
1: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Evander Holyfield. Yes, I think he was, uh, my memory serves me right, Brian, you can give me the thumbs up on this. I think he was, uh, was he suspended or disqualified in a boxing match which elevated Kevin Barry to uh, a medal at the Olympics. I think that was uh, the case there. I'm just taking that over in my mind.
6: Anyway, uh, number two, Joey. Uh, My number two, I'm going back in time again. I'm going to like the 30s um, where this fight this fight that I'm about to play, it wasn't just for the title, it was for mankind. It was for I mean, it was the bigger, it's the biggest fight of the century, and this man, he was the hero, is Joe Lewis. I
8: am Lewis, right and left to the head, a left to the jaw, a right to the head, and Donovan is watching carefully. Lewis measured him right to the body, a left up to the jaw, and Schneeling is down, the count is high.
6: Is over. A knockoff, is in one
1: round. How and good? And Joey, why, why, why was that fight a fight for mankind?
6: Well, because uh, Schmeling was um, a German Nazi. Well, I mean, he was from Germany. Um, at, it was 1938, I think, um, just before yeah. the start of World War II. And um, obviously, Joe Lewis was black, and um, Hitler had, had said that you know we are the supreme. Um, if necessary, you know, we, we are the best of Germans, then in the first round, knockout, goodbye and I think actually Schmieling, he didn't go back to Nazi Germany, he um, decided to stay in America and um, yeah, he was hated by the Nazis for that, but yeah, just a, a, probably the biggest fight of the century
1: Brilliant, great knowledge, great knowledge um, I'm going to go for a guy, for my number two who beat him, actually, beat Joe Louis um, he beat Archie Moore a Charles, Ebeck he beat everyone this bloke staggering record 49 and 0 49 and 0 43 by knockout um up until now and tyson fury is a, a big question mark here uh, the only heavyweight world champion to have finished his career undefeated the great rocky marciano
2: rocky marciano has to knock out jersey joe Walker to win this fight and his corner has told him so and Marciano is going after the KG, the veteran, Jersey Joe. All cut back just a little bit against the ropes. Oh, terrific right hand. He's down. He's down. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and out. New heavyweight champion of the world, Rocky Marciano.
1: Brilliant. Rocky Marciano, your number one, Joey.
6: My number one, look, everyone's going to hate me, but you know, he's the best of my generation. He's someone that I love to watch. It's Tyson Fury. Wilder's gonna... oh! oh,
2: By Fury, And down goes Deontay Wilder. Big shot by Tyson Fury. Oh! Taking supernatural strength. Fury pouring it out. And that's it. It's over. Russell Mora waves it off. He's not counting. The Gypsy King is the
6: heavyweight
1: champion. Okay, I'll give you that, but it's not the greatest of all time that, that's You've let yourself down there badly though, mate. Uh, and honestly, he can sing like a canary when he's finished. I mean, he does that, he grabs the microphone and sings like a canary. But he didn't float like a butterfly, and he didn't sting like a bee, not during the Great Era, which made Muhammad Ali the greatest of all time.
2: 30 seconds, left in round eight.
3: Very even fight. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder a
1: Just like that, eh? The greatest. I am the greatest. He sure was. Muhammad Ali. So thanks very much for that, Joey. Some great insights, some great history. Uh, That was Mount Rushmore for this Tuesday. Uh, Very shortly, it'll be Staffy's turn to take over here at SENZ. We'll catch up with him just before he does.
9: Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know.